You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1304 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening. And today's podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this with more odds, props, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And today's podcast is going to be all about all kinds of different things, honestly. It's a September grab bag of sorts. The month has begun. And later this month, the Hawks will be in action in training camp. Media day is coming about three-ish weeks from now, three and a half weeks from now. It's getting it's getting closer as we go in here. And actually, earlier today, there was a big NBA move. It does not necessarily impact the Hawks directly, although maybe indirectly in some respects, but uh, a lot to get to after a couple of days. And by the way, if you missed it earlier this week, I talked to Brian Schroeder, friend of the podcast, about the NBA draft, both 2022 with A.J. Griffin joining the Hawks, etc., as well as the 23 draft, Victor Wembanyama. Uh, Scoot Henderson, Thompson Twins, etc. All kinds of different stuff on that discussion, as well as previous episodes. We've been very busy over the offseason. We're at like 75 to 80 episodes since the end of the season for the Hawks so far. So plenty of content if you missed it and welcome aboard on today's show. So uh, without the uh, sort of framing of an explicit mailbag, I'll be answering a bunch of questions that I got over the last week or so, as well as touching on some news. Uh, the 538 projections came out this week as well. Touch on those later on in the podcast, uh, as well as some uh, more explicit questions. And one signing by the Hawks, albeit a lower leverage one with Chris Silva, that we'll tackle later on in the podcast. But the first thing is actually the news of the day in the NBA, and that is the Donovan Mitchell trade to the Cleveland Cavaliers. If you missed that, that was widely reported. It's not been announced just yet, but that's going to be happening, of course. When everybody in the world has it between Woj and Shams and Chris Haynes, et cetera, uh, Brian Windhorst, everybody's got that deal. And uh, Mitchell's headed to the Caps in a surprising move for sure. There were some rumblings that they were at least interested in Mitchell's services, but for the most part, we all assumed it was going to be the Knicks and myself included. And uh, that didn't happen at this one. So I'll have more on the deal itself when we start getting into over-unders and stuff like that later on this month when I have guests on the show talk about the big picture stuff and our annual over-under stuff. But it does, it does make Cleveland better. That's that's something that I'll, I'll definitely say for sure. At this point in time, there is a pretty substantial future-facing cost for the Cavs, what they sent out in the deal. But I think you'll see a lot of people right now putting the Cavs ahead of the Hawks now that you have seen Mitchell on this roster. Uh, they do have the defensive front court infrastructure with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen to maybe cover up for the potential weaknesses of a Mitchell-Darius Garland backcourt. You might remember this if you're a long-time listener of the podcast. I talked about the potential of a young uh, Mitchell backcourt for a long time. Got a lot of questions about that for a long time. And uh, defensively, that was never going to work in my mind. Garland isn't much better than Trey, honestly, if at all. But the difference there is that uh, there's the potential for the Mobley-Allen frontcourt to be uh, covering up a lot there. I will still say it's a weakness for sure, and we'll touch on that later on if we want to. But Cleveland also has some wing issues at this point. They uh, definitely, you know, they traded out their lottery pick this year, uh, Oshai Baji in that deal. They do have Isaac Okoro on the roster. They do have Karis LeVert, but wing is definitely a question mark for the Cavs right now, just, you know, even with this addition of Mitchell, because Garland and Mitchell is a pretty small backcourt, and then you have the sort of twin towers look in the frontcourt. But from a Hawks standpoint, uh, it, is, it does make life a little bit more difficult, let's just say. So much in the same way that the Kevin Durant staying in Brooklyn saga impacted the Hawks at least a little bit. Uh, this is kind of the same thing on maybe not quite as defined of a level because Durant is Durant and uh, sort of an all-time player in the way that Mitchell is not. But there could have been a scenario a couple weeks ago where, let's just say, Cleveland stood pat 
and Durant got moved to the West. And that would have opened up a little bit of space for the Hawks potentially. Even if Donovan Mitchell got, got traded to the Knicks, I would have had the Hawks ahead of the Knicks still this season because Donovan is a good player but would not have pushed them over the Hawks. So um, let's just say the slate is a little bit more difficult now for Atlanta. You have, of course, the Nets to deal with, uh, with KD. I think most people are going to project the Hawks to be behind the Nets. Uh, obviously, there's some variability there with Brooklyn, with KD and Kyrie, et cetera, and, and Ben Simmons. But um, projection-wise, you're going to see the Nets be ahead of the Hawks most of the time. And now the Cavs. Um, at minimum, are going to be right there with the Hawks, if not above them for most people because of the way they played last year. Clippers had a better record than Atlanta last year, despite the Hawks winning that play-in matchup between the two teams. And then you add Mitchell for, um, again, a pretty big cost future-facing. But kind of like Donovan Mitchell – sorry, kind of like Jonathan Murray with the Hawks, um, the present-day cost is not outrageous. Obviously, they lose Lord Markkinen, who was a helpful player to them last year, but he's he's not a needle-moving guy by any, by any chance. And then you get Abaji, a rookie – and then uh, Colin Sexton who didn't play really at all last year. So it's one of those things where um, I kind of get it. But now you have, to, you have, of course, the Nets and the Cavs to deal with. You still have the Bucks to deal with. The Celtics, the reigning champions in the East to deal with. The Heat, the Sixers, even the Raptors. So kind of tough sledding for the Hawks at this point. And for what it's worth, our friends at Ben Online have the Nets at 50, 50 and a half wins after the KD stuff was sort of solidified. That's well above where the Hawks are in their projections. And they reopened the Cavs actually tonight, as I'm recording this, at 46 and a half win, which is actually a half win ahead of where the Hawks are. They're 46 right now. Atlanta is at Ben Online. So, and also the Raptors are almost exactly the same as the Hawks in that 46 win range. So basically there are six teams in the East that have a higher over-under definitively than Atlanta. Then you throw in a seventh with Toronto that is right there at that level. And then after that, you get to like Chicago, et cetera, behind that. So I will say this on the other side of the uh, transaction here, comparing it to what the Hawks did for Murray. I think the investment in Murray looks better from a value standpoint than it did at the time, much in the way that we talked about with Rudy Gobert when the Jazz uh, got a King's ransom for Rudy. Um, that made the Hawks deal look better for Murray. And so, I mean, does that change your entire perception? No, and it definitely shouldn't. But if you're just kind of comparing transactions, the Hawks price for Murray, which was, I guess, initially seen as kind of a, if anything, an overpay by some, including myself, even maybe a little bit. Um, I think it looks a lot more reasonable now in the context of the Gobert and Mitchell deals, because I will say this, you know, you could certainly do a bunch of lists like this, and you're usually going to see Mitchell ahead of DeJounte Murray. I do think Mitchell's a better offensive player than Murray, pretty clearly, but Murray's defense is a lot better than Mitchell's, and I think that um, those guys are at least reasonably close. I think Mitchell is a better player, but not by a, not by a ton, let's just say. So, and I will admit that I'm a little bit lower on Mitchell than most people are just because of the defense more than anything else. And then passing is kind of just average, but he's a really good player, but the gap there is not huge. And the Hawks traded three first round picks for DeJounte, of course, uh, two of the three were unprotected. That's actually a big price, but uh, plus one pick swap. And then of course the rights to Gallinari, who they were going to, by the way, they were going to let go um, via that non-guarantee. The Cavs are sending three picks as well, but all of them are unprotected. So that's a higher price plus an extra swap. So two swaps versus one. And Cleveland sent this year's lottery pick and Agbaji in the deal. So that's like a basically a fourth first round pick. Because uh, you could say, even if they don't like love Agbaji and talk about Utah here, you could value him as maybe a late first rounder rather than a mid first rounder. That's still a first round value. Um, plus, you kind of have to match salary with Markinen, who you could say, you know, maybe him and Gallo are comparable. Um, uh, you know, Gallo is obviously a better player for a long time. 
And then the Sexton thing is kind of interesting in that he was not under contract. In fact, the biggest winner in my mind of this entire deal is Colin Sexton, who famously was kind of limited in his options. Cleveland was, was reportedly offering him three years and $40 million, and now he gets to go to Utah and sign for four years and $72 million and have more of a firm role. So Sexton's a local product to Atlanta. This is a good deal for him and a good day for him, I think, as a prospect and as a player moving forward. But um, regardless – this is a notably heavier package for Mitchell than what the Hawks sent out for Murray with just the picks alone. And then you throw in Igbaji, then you throw in the rights to Sexton. You throw in, uh, obviously, Markkanen and Gallo is kind of a wash in some respects. So with all that said, I think the Hawks fans can feel a little bit better now about the Murray transaction, uh, you know, day by day, I think. But I do want to warn you, not that this matters. And by the way, it doesn't. I said this on Twitter. People kind of like, why does this matter? It doesn't necessarily, quote unquote, matter. But I'm just kind of warning Hawks fans, like, I think that, when power rankings and projections start to come out more and more, uh, we talked about one that actually happened uh, last week or two weeks ago with ESPN that I kind of covered on the podcast at that point in time that had the Bulls ahead of the Hawks. And that one I, des- I, that one I kind of firmly disagree with. I think the Hawks are better than the Bulls, full stop. But you're going to see the Hawks projected in that eight or nine range now in the East regularly. I think that for the most part, you're going to see five – probably five teams ahead of them if you include Brooklyn in the top four from last year, and then probably Cleveland regularly ahead of them now, and then maybe even Toronto as well. So you're going to see the Hawks in that seven to nine range, eight, nine range a lot. Does that mean the Hawks are going to finish there? No, it doesn't. But I think if you had told Hawks fans when they traded for Murray, if they were going to be projected to be in the eight, nine range, that would have sounded really strange. I think I would agree with that. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you get the Nets keeping KD, you get the Cavs, obviously improving their roster at this point in time. And then, you know, Toronto's maybe a swing team as well. But uh, I think Hawks fans are going to be bothered by what they see. And I don't, I don't blame you. I think that I like the Hawks more than the, more than the national consensus would probably outline at this point in time. Like, I firmly have the Hawks ahead of the Bulls, which is not going to be a uniform thing. Like, it won't stun me if a major outlet has the Hawks ninth in the East. And that's going to seem really low to me even especially the Hawks fans, but uh, that's, you know, the landscape in the East is very, very tough. The West is a lot, uh, a lot lighter than it used to be in some respects, even with Kawhi coming back this year and all that stuff, Denver being full strength. But uh, yeah, the top eight, nine in the uh, East is pretty loaded at this point. And it got even more loaded with Mitchell going from the West to the East in this deal. Okay. We'll have much more coming up on a lot of different topics from Jalen Brown to Bogdanovich coming back uh, and 538 stuff, et cetera. But before we get to all of that stuff on the podcast today, a word from our sponsors on the show. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online, and football is here in a big way. Bet Online is the number one source for all things football across pro and college football betting needs, as well as information across both sports this season. Find all the latest developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts at Bet Online, including all the content you need for the opening week slate in college and pro football. BetOnline is also a continued source for wagering information that you need, and that includes live betting, esports, and live scores. BetOnline is also the fastest and easiest way to consume every sport you might be interested in at this point in time. On this show, we talk about the NBA almost exclusively, and there are plenty of futures out there across the NBA world that includes win totals, conference odds, division odds, title odds, individual award odds, and more involving the Hawks and other franchises. Beyond the NBA, BetOnline has odds and lines on baseball and MMA, boxing, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, soccer, entertainment bets, and much more. Head to BetOnline.net right now and computer mobile device to learn more about all of the trends and the action in the sports world. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and this is not really a mailbag question, but a lot of different people asked me to hit on Jalen Brown. 
Uh, before I do that, this is definitely not a rumor. So people always throw around, throw around the word rumor. Uh, this is not a rumor that I would say on Jalen Brown. But Sean Devaney, who writes for Heavy.com, formerly of the Sporting News. Sean's been around for a long time. This is a credible writer. Let's just say that. It's not like a, one of those random Bleacher Report kind of things that gets aggregated crazily. This is a real person re- reporting this, but it wasn't like a flat-out report. So it got aggregated a little bit for something he wrote about Jalen Brown earlier this week. And basically the piece was, the entire piece, was that Devaney was trying to talk to NBA executives about Brown's future and, and some teams, multiple, that could interest Brown if he were to actually hit for agency after 24. So it's not news to Hawks fans probably, but Jalen Brown is a local guy. He played high school at Wheeler in Cobb County. He is, it's always made a popular uh, pairing for Jalen Brown in the future uh, because he's from here, et cetera. He's obviously a really good player too. It fit well with Trey Young. Um, but the part that got heavily aggregated was a quote from a person who Devaney described as a quote, Eastern Conference executive, end quote, about the Hawks. And I'll just read it for you now. And this is a person uh, talking on the record, but not using their name. So Quote, they have been after more two-way players in recent years because signing up for a few big names around Trey Young has not worked out. We'll have to see what they do with Hunter and Okongwu because they will need extensions. But if they can clear out the room, that's probably the biggest team to worry the Celtics. End quote. So basically, this is just speculation from someone in the league and not a report from Devaney. And it feels like the link basically is just that the Hawks could use him, which, by the way, every team could use Jalen Brown, and he's from Atlanta, which I get it. He'd be helpful to the Hawks. Uh, he'd be a guy that would be high, high, high on the list of targets if he was actually available. And I think that conceivably, Brown could like to come to Atlanta. That would not surprise me at all either. So that, get that let's get that out of the way out now. But basically, uh, contractually, it'd be pretty interesting and kind of challenging, which is a lot of what the questions were that uh, sort of I was getting from people that were asking about this, whether the Hawks could even sign Brown in free agency or would it have to be a trade for him. Uh, before I get to that, by the way, the short-term trade for Brown is not going to happen for the Hawks like this year. That's not going to happen. Uh, Obviously, he was on the table reportedly in a Kevin Durant swap, but Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant, and the Hawks are not going to trade for Jalen Brown right now because Boston is obviously all in to try to win now. But looking ahead, Brown is signed for two more seasons. He's expiring after 24. Uh, I'm going to assume he'll be looking for a max at that point in time or at least something close to that, which he definitely has earned to this point. And at the moment, the Hawks only have about $100 in committed salary for that following season. That's actually only in five players under contract. That is Trey Young, John Collins, Capella, and then A.J. Griffin and Jalen Johnson on their first round contracts that they've signed over the last two years. If that was all that was in the books for the Hawks, you actually could probably almost fit Jalen Brown in at the max. So if you just go only on that, you could say maybe it's doable without major surgery on the roster. With that said, it's not that easy because, for one, that, is, that assumes $0 for DeAndre Hunter, who the Hawks either will have the option to extend right now or in the next month or so, or they could re-sign next summer. That also does not include anything for a Kongwu who will be hitting free agency that same summer. And if he is uh, if he's around, uh, yeah, alas, uh, there's not really a scenario for the Hawks to that I think is likely anyway for the Hawks to not have either one of those guys on the roster with nothing coming back. Also, Dejounte Murray hits free agency in 2024 that same summer as uh, as Jalen Brown. So and he has a projected cap hold of about $26.5 million or so. So if they wanted to sign Murray, which they obviously are going to probably want to, and use his bird rights, they have to keep that hold on the books. You can't just let him go and then try to sign him over the top of that. In order to go over the cap to sign Jonathan Murray, they're going to have to keep that hold on the books. So that $100 million in committed salary has nothing for Hunter, nothing for Okongwu, nothing for Murray, nothing for Bogdanovich or anybody else that I haven't mentioned. So in short, the Hawks would almost certainly have to move on from somebody like Collins or Capella or maybe both. 
to make any kind of free pursuit of Brown work, unless they didn't want to have DeJounte back or something like that. We'll see. Uh, there are some side and trade stuff, uh, sort of factors that could be in play that I won't get into now. But the short answer is basically that it's plausible that Brown just really wants to come here and the Hawks would be interested. But it's uh, two years away. Number one, keep that in mind. A lot can change. And the Hawks would have to do some ser- some surgery to their cap sheet in the meantime to actually sign him as a free agent. So we'll come back to that if we need to, but nothing to be worried, worked up about it at all. I know it was sort of framed in a way that was kind of, you know, clicky. Uh, and I get that, but I don't think I have – there's not too much to talk about on that front right now. Obviously, two years from now, if he wants to come to Atlanta, that's something that we'll tackle at that point in time. Okay, from there, um, 538's projections came out this week. And generally speaking – this is sort of a nerd thing people like to look for. I am one of those people, of course. Um, this is not gospel. I want to say that again right now. Even as someone who does value these metrics uh, at some level, I think that uh, generally speaking, you don't want to go crazy. Uh, these obviously get a lot of attention because they're 538. It's a, a brand name. It's a major outlet. And they do a lot of math stuff on the internet beyond sports even. But um, And also beyond just the fact that you shouldn't take anything too, too seriously here. Um, I think generally speaking, their monetary projections. So every single player, they sort of value looking backwards a year or two and then looking forward for five years. Um, And all of their projections on the money side for me are are too low for the most part moving forward because the salary cap is going to be rising pretty quickly here. And I think I looked through a lot of different teams, not just the Hawks. And I think generally speaking, they are, are too low on what like a solid starter will be paid on what, what guys are going to be worth under the new cap environment. So keep that in mind as well. I think if anything, all the projections, like especially in the three, four, five year range are a little bit too low. Um, not just for the Hawks guys, but basically just across the board. So keep that in mind as well. Um, we'll go through kind of quickly all the guys that are relevant on the Hawks roster, what they had to say about him, about them. Uh, Trey Young, not much to say there. 538's uh, playoff stuff from last year was pretty ugly on Trey for obvious reasons. He was pretty bad, kind of earned that one. But even with that, he they had him worth like $40 million last year. Projecting forward, he's seen as an, as an obvious superstar. All the comparisons that he has uh, in terms of players are superstars. It's kind of what you expect, so nothing else to see there. DeJounte Murray is uh, framed as a, quote, borderline all-star category, which makes sense. That's kind of what he is. About a $33 million a year guy the next two years, according to 538. That's about what he's worth in my mind. And then about $155 million over the next five years. Again, very similar. That's kind of a max contract level player. 538 does not love his defense compared to a lot of people, but at the same time, still sees him as like an average or better defender and uh, a pretty good offensive player, obviously, as well. So he's obviously nothing really controversial with that. with that. Keep, keeping on going with the starting lineup here, at least projected one for the Hawks, uh, DeAndre Hunter. He's the guy that I think Hawks fans are not going to like this one, but I've been trying to tell people for a long time that the advanced metrics do not like DeAndre very much right now. Um, he's he's in the he's in the quote rotation player category, and uh, five thirty eight had him being worth three million dollars last year. Uh, that's not very good, obviously, for a guy who was starting for most of the season. Um, they have him projected for about eight point three million dollars this coming season, and about eight point three million dollars the following year. So uh, basically, a lot less than you might think he'd be worth slash being paid by them. Um, for extension purposes, 530 projects Hunter to be uh, having a five-year total market value of $42 million. That's a five-year market value, $8 million a year. That does back up, again, what I've been saying for a while, that metrics do not like what we've seen from him at this point in time. For the record, that's actually quite a bit lower than he's actually going to get, and even what I would pay, even as someone who's been pointing this out, that he's been struggling for a while. He's worth a lot more than that in my mind, but it does kind of tell you that just by the numbers, it's not been very good in the recent past. John Collins is viewed as about a $20 million player by 538, which is less than what he's making. I would go back to the, go back to the, uh, 
sort of salary cap translation stuff. And that's a little bit too modest for me, but nothing completely insane there. Um, they had Collins is about a $26 million player two years ago, less than that last year when he played less. Of course, he was hurt down the stretch, et cetera. Um, 538 actually has him as a solidly positive defender over the last two seasons, which I kind of agree with. Um, have him about neutral for this coming season, but I'm not sure why you have a, him to be downgraded, but that's kind of where they are at this point in time. By why he was a little bit lower, but still a guy who's expected to be a good starter, making good starter money at this point. Capella is in the borderline all-star category. Same one as Jante Murray. Obviously, a little bit, a little bit paid less than Murray in terms of the projections here. Five thirty-eight saw what we all saw two years ago, and had Capella worth forty-four million dollars two years ago. But last year was about half of that, which is still what he was more than he's making from the Hawks. He's projected to be earn, earning about twenty-five-ish million this year, twenty-two the year after that, twenty-eight the year after that. So that's the next three years. Um, that's actually more than he's going to be paid the next three years. So that's that's probably a good sign for the Hawks in general. Nothing crazy there. Um, Bogdanovich is in the key role player category, and they actually have Bogdanovich being worth essentially exactly what he was paid last year, about $18 million. And they have him for about $20 million a year the next two years. That's basically exactly what he's owed, or at least a little bit more than he is owed, but that's good. Um, neutral defender, I'd probably be a little bit touched lower than that, honestly. They had him as a negative last year, but a lot of the top player comps for Bogdanovich are shooting specialists, like Del Curry is the number one, and he's still a starting caliber wing by the system, which I definitely agree with, even though he's going to be coming off the bench most likely this season. Um, and then Akongwu is the other guy that I will at least want to do a full breakdown on. He has the key role player projection. They had him, they had him worth about $10 million last year. That's actually really good for a player who played as little as he did. About $14 million this year, 14 and a half the year after that. And again, it's been a pretty small role for Akongwu. And with Capella on the roster, he can't be worth that much more than this. So it's actually pro it's probably a pretty good and pretty encouraging estimation by 530 because he's basically been viewed by the system as like a good starting center so far. It's just playing less. And his starting center would play, which makes sense to me. I kind of agree with that. And that's where we are at this point in time. Quickly on the rest of the guys that are uh, on the roster, um, rookie stuff is a little bit different in the system. There's no numbers from the NBA. So they have Griffin as being a replacement level player as a rookie, as, same as Martin. They have Griffin as a higher long-term value for obvious reasons, a, big, a better prospect than Martin. But there you go. Uh, they, they do like Aaron Holiday, uh, about $5.5 million projection for this year, and he's making the minimum, so that would actually be nice value for the Hawks. Justin Holiday, about $5 million. That's about what he's making. That's a little bit low for me, but still totally fine. Mo Harkless is about $2 million player. That's exactly what he's being paid this year, basically, at a minimum contract. They like Frank Kaminsky, about $6 million projection. That's what he's making this year on the minimum. Uh, they have Trent Forrest and Shondi Brown being uh, – Better than minimum players, and they're on two ways. That's a pretty good sign for the Hawks, generally speaking. They're very modest, 538 is, on Jalen Johnson, um, which I think can be explained by just looking at his, at his numbers from last year. If you just look at his numbers from last year and his very limited college sample size, that makes sense, honestly. So he's viewed in the project category, and that is, again, basically playing on him, not playing much over the last year. So overall, um, they have not done their uh, team projections just yet. The player ones are still out, but this is a pretty normal projection on the Hawks. Again, there's players that I'd be a little bit higher on, a little bit lower on, but nothing out of the ordinary at this point in time. And of course, the Hawks are hoping that Hunter breaks out in a way that 538 is not projecting at this stage. All right, I got a mailbag question now from Luciano, who says, what did you make of the video of Bogdanovich and the reports that he is getting closer to returning? So yes, I saw the video. Um, the main thing that circulated was a video shared by Eurohoops on August 23rd, about a week ago at this point in time. There's some other social media stuff out there as well from McDonovich and the Hawks and whatever else. 
Um, the best way to answer the question is kind of a TBD, honestly, because the Eurohoops video was basically Bogdanovich just shooting standstill jumpers off of like maybe one dribble that wasn't really moving. So that's not surprising. That's kind of where he should be at this point, maybe even a little bit behind that. He had surgery several months ago, so it'd be more troubling if he was not taking shots at this stage. So that video doesn't really change anything in my mind, honestly. It wasn't like he was doing like full-on workouts. I've heard he's been working out in Atlanta off and on. I'm sure he's doing more than what we saw on that video, generally speaking. But that video does not change my mind really at all. Uh, I've said this a couple times before, but the offseason stuff from the Hawks in terms of the wording is interesting to me. They announced the offseason procedures for Bogdanovich and Jalen Johnson on the exact same time and day in June. And they framed Johnson as being expected to be uh, at least recovering in full, quote, in advance of training camp, whereas Bogdanovich was, quote, in advance of the regular season. So that's about a four-week difference. Basically, training camp starts four weeks before the regular season starts, and uh, that, that seemed intentional to me. So that's sort of an extra month of cushion for Bogey. I've heard some pretty encouraging things, but I don't think that there was anything that was out there that was reported or shown on video that's like, oh, he's almost back. Um, we'll see. Uh, the Hawks still have like six weeks before the actual opener of the season at this point in time, maybe almost almost seven weeks. And uh, I, would, I would not be surprised at all if Bogey is still like heavily limited early in training camp and also maybe even misses the opening night. None of that should surprise anyone. The Hawks should be careful with him because they're going to need him the entire way. I've talked about this a lot, and it'll come back up later on in the offseason, I'm sure, but they're going to need him in a big way. He is their one dynamite shooter outside of Trey Young on this roster, other than obviously AJ Griffin being a rookie, but Bogey is their one like proven NBA shooter outside of Trey, and they're really going to need that element on the floor. So we'll see how they uh, handle that, but I think uh, it should not stun anyone if he's a little bit limited in September and October, and we'll see where he's actually back on the floor. Okay, uh, the rest of the show, a couple just kind of a newsy hit here. Uh, Chris Silva was a guy who joined the Hawks organization over the last week or so. Um, the Hawks announced that they signed him late last week. This structure is extensively covered in our recent episode talking about Tyson Etienne. But Silva's deal is an Exhibit 10 contract. I'm not going to do the entire spiel, but the short version is that an Exhibit 10 deal gives the Hawks uh, a, a pretty interesting kind of setup here where Silva gets a tiny guarantee where it kind of makes it worth it between between $5,000 and $50,000 to come in and be on a deal for training camp. If the Hawks were to waive him, they'd be able to put him in the G League, which is a useful thing for the Hawks to be able to do. Also, they can convert him if they want to, or it's a non-guaranteed deal for the season. Um, Silva is 25 years old, a forward undrafted out of South Carolina, has mostly been in the Heat organization in the last couple of years in their, in their G League team and also on their on their NBA team. Uh, he's actually played 64 games with the Heat over three seasons, quick stops in Sacramento, Minnesota as well. Basically, he's a really good defender, like 6'8", 230-ish, a uh, big physical athletic player on uh, uh, kind of both forward spots, really good defender, like genuinely good defender. But offensively, there's not a lot there. Um, he's basically a non-shooter. He doesn't take threes. He can't really do that. Um, his turnover rate is sky high for a player with a small sample size. So there's not much there um, on offense. Maybe you could cross your fingers and hope he can make a corner of three, but it's not really been in there at all. So he's kind of a specialist player, which is why he's bounced around. But obviously, you know, I talked to people around Miami. People seem to like Chris Silva quite a bit. Um, everyone's rooting for him down there, but kind of a depth move for the Hawks. I would be pretty surprised if he was on the roster opening night, but he's another body they can bring in for training camp. Um, defensively kind of push them guys. He's a pro, knows what to do, et cetera. So a pretty nice little addition there in August and a guy who at least has some NBA experience. They want to go ahead and use him. And then the last thing on today's podcast is uh, not necessarily Hawks news per se, but some notable NBA news for consumers like me, honestly. Um, the price of NBA League Pass dropped substantially this year. 
that is nice for people like me and probably the listeners to this podcast who have an interest in the entire league. Especially nice for Hawks fans that do not live in the local market and want to watch every game a lot cheaper than they could before. So previously, League Pass was $200 a year and $30 extra if you want an NBA TV along with that. And it was actually $280 a year if you wanted the premium package. Now, League Pass with NBA TV included is $100 a year or $130 per year for premium. So that's about a half off than from previous years. And uh, also a monthly option if you if you prefer that. The catch, of course, is that in the same way as baseball and other sports, there are still blackout restrictions. So you cannot just get League Pass and live in Atlanta and watch the Hawks without a VPN or something like that, which I can't endorse on this podcast. Um, but this makes it a lot easier to watch the rest of the league every night. If you want to learn more about the league, this is a more manageable price point to do that. I have to pay for League Pass every single year. And uh, this is obviously nice news for me. It's huge for the fans also that do not live in Atlanta. I know there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are not Atlanta residents or at least close in the local market area covered by Bally Sports Southeast. And if they're already doing that, this is a nice uh, price price break for them to uh, pay their normal amount, but about half of that actually, and uh, watch the Hawks as well as the rest of the league as well. So if you like the league, this is good news. And uh, maybe they're trying to sort of get in line. It was reported they're trying to get in line with like ESPN Plus, a little bit, MLB TV is a little bit cheaper for the full season and kind of maybe increase their viewership as a result of that. But a nice little thing at the end of the time for the Hawks. Um, yeah, that's kind of it for today's podcast. That was sort of a grab bag of sorts, a little bit of news, a little bit of uh, takeaway stuff from the Donovan Mitchell trade, the Jalen Brown stuff, et cetera. But please subscribe to the podcast. We'll have much more coming in the future. I have mailbag questions that I'm itching to answer in the near future about John Collins, about Mo Harkless, um, other stuff off the wall as well. You know, Shawnee Brown, there's a question about that. Uh, defensive stuff for the Hawks. Um, enforcers around Trey Young, all kinds of questions that I'll be uh, stockpiling for the future. But if you have the question, I definitely want you to send it to me either on Twitter at BT Roland for me or at Locked on Hawks for the show. Or if it's a little bit longer, if you want to use the email address, it's Locked on Hawks at gmail.com. Also, please, please, please subscribe and tell a friend about the podcast. I've been asking that for a while and I definitely will keep asking for it. We've had some nice growth on the show uh, year to year and all of that stuff, but uh, obviously it's a little bit of a downtime right now. So please download and stream and click and uh, do that across platforms as well as five-star ratings, five-star reviews, and also share the podcast with a friend. If you know a Hawks fan, friend that's trying to get into the team, something like that, share this podcast with them. I really appreciate the support on that front. And uh, thank you sincerely for everyone that's been listening to the show through August. Most of the dog days are over at this point in time. We're now turning the corner. It's September. We're almost there. There'll be real live media day stuff in this month. So we're almost there. Football starting on the horizon, et cetera. And uh, I really appreciate everybody supporting the podcast as always. All right. That'll be it for today and probably for Labor Day weekend. So enjoy that. If you're traveling, be safe out there and uh, we'll see you all next week.